0: Good morning again everybody. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but it was Godgle instead of Google. Google. Did you guys catch that? Anyone else catch it? Yeah. That's Rob in the back. There you go. yeah. That's, that is the response by the way. Okay. Anyways, oh, oh, we're in week two of our series called Investigation. Um, and as a kid, there were a lot of things that I used to believe as a kid that as I've grown older I've, um, I've, I've learned that they weren't correct and I've, and I've grown out of those things. Here's some things I used to believe when I was a kid. I used to believe that all dogs were males and all cats were females. Used to believe that. In fact, even today, if I see a dog, I just assume it's a it's a male, and I assume every cat's a female. I kind of I thought it was like lions and, and tigers the same. I didn't think about this. Lions are all males, right? And tigers are all females. Is that right? Oh, jeez, I had, I really thought that. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, there's a lot of things that used to believe. Are you guys serious? That you're So hold on, hold on. We'll talk, maybe we'll talk about this after service. There can, be, there can be female lions. I'm surprised no one's leaving. Like, you expect me to learn from you. You didn't know there was... Anyways, okay. Sorry. I'm going to look that up. I don't know if I believe this entire congregation. Anyways, okay. All right, uh, next one. Let's move on. I used to believe that if I accidentally ate an apple seed, as a kid I used to believe that there's a chance that I can grow an apple inside of me. I need to be careful, so I can't do that. I've learned that's not true. Um, I used to believe that drinking and driving meant drinking anything and driving. Like if you had a drink in your hand, then you were in trouble. And my dad drinks coffee, I think that's it, exclusively, only coffee. And so I remember as a kid watching my dad drink coffee and for a while, I wouldn't say anything. And I remember at one point saying, like, Dad, you know you're not supposed to drink and drive, right? He's like, it's coffee. Eric. Um, I used to believe that all the shows that I watched were real people, that they were real people that, um, that lived somewhere. That, mean, that, that meant that Steve Urkel and Tabanga and Zach Morris really existed somewhere out of nowhere. I used to believe that. I used to believe that um, clowns were evil and that no one should be around one because they may murder us. And honestly, I still believe that. Clowns are evil. They're, they're, anyways. As a kid, as, and as kids, there are a lot of things that we believe that we eventually grow out of that belief. It's normal to a part of a the child. We, there's something that we, that we knew as a kid, and as we get older, we kind of learn, okay, maybe that's not as much true. Um, but for some of us, that doesn't end with things like the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny. For some of us, we can easily say, you know what, I think this idea of a god, we're just going to throw that in there as well. It's easy for a lot of us to get to that point. I mean, is there really this... This guy with a white beard in the sky on these clouds who sent this, the Jesus to do miracles and to die on a cross and come back to life. It, it kind of almost sounds like a fairy tale. Is this just a fairy tale that, that some of us believe? So we often lump God into our childhood beliefs. Like it's just the same thing as everything else we believe that we eventually will grow out of that. And as I um, grew up in high school and in college, I started to question why I believed in all this stuff. I started to question why I believed in God, why I believed in Jesus, why I believed in Christianity, any of it. And from there is when I really started to look deeper and deeper and try to discover, okay, I want to get past just my parents' faith or my church's faith. I want to discover my own authentic faith here. And um, I've heard some arguments about the existence of a God, if there is or isn't a God. And even um, just recently, I I heard an argument, uh, there's two arguments I heard from William Lane, Lane Craig that really talks about the existence of a God and how we can know there's a God. And here are the two arguments. I'll give them to you. And you might know these. And I'm redoing this really quick, so I would highly recommend if you want to know more to look all this stuff up. But here's argument number one is the cosmic argument. Here's what the cosmic argument says. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Let me break it down. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Something can't come from nothing. There had to be something prior. The universe began to exist philosophically and scientifically, we can determine that there was a starting point. If you believe, even if you believe in the Big Bang, they would say that before the Big Bang, there was the singularity. Something had to start it. It's where it all began. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And if there is a cause, it has to be a being that is timeless, spaceless, enormously powerful, personal creator of the universe. That's the first argument. I highly recommend you look that up. Um, There's another argument, the moral argument. The moral argument says this. If God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist. Objective moral values do exist, therefore God exists. Okay, I'll break it down. If God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist. In the absence of a God, everything becomes socioculturally relative. What is right and wrong with someone uh, without someone telling us what is right or wrong is just objective to you. That's what right and wrong is because it's there is no creator that does it. but if God does not exist, then we cannot say there's any moral values, um, objective moral values at all, but we would all agree that objective moral values do exist. No matter what you believe, whether you're here and you're a Christian or you are not a Christian, you may, maybe don't even believe in a higher power, we would all agree that there are some things that are just wrong. Murdering someone for no reason is wrong. Child slavery is wrong. There are things that we would all agree is simply wrong to do, therefore... God exists. When you see people, anybody, we would see people having some intrinsic moral value. Because we don't necessarily see every single person as somebody you just want to get something from. No, we see people as having value, even if we don't always treat them that way, we see people as having value. But really, why should we? If it's just natural selection, if it's, if it's just something like that, then, then people should actually be your enemy because that means other people, what they have, means there's less for you. It's, it's competition, but we don't think that way. We value people. When we see people that are, that are, in, that are in need and need help, we want to bring them up. We, we want to treat people well. We would all agree and know that we should treat people well, but where does that come from? So if there is a God, how do we know that God actually exists? Well, with all these arguments, we, we've learned that. But if there is a God... How do we know who he is? How do we know how to follow him? How, how do we know where do we go from here? What, what do we do? And there, as a, a, a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we would say we look at the Bible. We look at the Bible to understand who he is. Why do we possibly think that we can believe in the Bible? It, there's, a, there's a book, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it, um, from, from Lee Strobel. It's, it's an older book now, but it's called A Case for Christ. And he talks about textual criticism. Here's what, what he talks about. When it comes to any historic documents at all, Bible or not, any historical documents, um, any ancient documents or manuscripts, how do we validate it? How do we validate that it was really written at that time by by real people and what time period it was? How do we authenticate any historic document that we have? Well, we authenticate it by comparing and contrasting the copies that are discovered. That's how we do it. The more copies, the better, because the more copies means that we can cross-reference them to really determine what the original says. Any historic documents, I'm not just talking about the Bible. Any of them, that's what they do. So that's, that is what call is it, called textual criticism. So let me give you an example, and it'll be up on the screen. When it comes to Homer's Iliad, um, we have 1,565 copies of Homer's Iliad. And it, it was, the original was composed 800 years before Christ. That's how long ago it was. And the copies are dated to the 3rd century. So what that means is there's 1,100 years between the original and the first copy that we have. That's good. That means we see there's a lot of copies. a lot of copies is good. The time period, that's actually a pretty good time period to be able to authenticate Homer's Iliad. So let's compare that to the New Testament. Archaeologists have discovered 5,843 copies of the New Testament manuscripts, four times the amount of Homer's Iliad. It's actually the most for any historical document we have, 5,843. And some of the earliest manuscripts, specifically the Gospel of John, Dates to the second century AD, which is less than 30 years to the original. Here's what that means. When you look at the Bible, specifically the New Testament, you cannot say there's no historical relevancy. You cannot say it's not historically accurate. You cannot say that according to textual criticism, according to what historians would say. You can maybe say they're lying in it, maybe you can say that, but you cannot say that there's no historical relevancy to it. the, The facts, Prove that there is. So here's the question that we asked last week and the question that we're going to continue to wrestle with. When we look at the Gospels, because that's what talks about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, You notice the word or, not end, or, all we need is one of those four, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? Because if just one, if just one is a reliable account of actual events, then what they say about Jesus is true. And if it's true, there are a lot of implications to our world and to yours. Last week, uh, we looked at the book of Luke, and we're going to look at the book of Luke again today. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke, and what Luke says is that he caref- he's one of many people that carefully investigated everything. He carefully investigated everything when it comes to Jesus, from the beginning of Jesus to, to when he died, to his resurrection, to his ascension, all the way to what happened after he was gone and how the church started. And he talks about that in the book of Acts. He carefully investigated. He undertook the expensive task, it was expensive to do this, to write about this Galilean carpenter who was turned into a rabbi who was eventually crucified as a criminal. And the reason why he and so many other people took this account is because something good and extraordinary happened that needed to be recorded. We talked about this last week. Something good and extraordinary needed to be happened. Luke believed, along with many others believed, that this Jesus guy actually died and actually came back to life three days later. Not spiritually, not in some weird, like literally did that. And that's why they took the, expensive, the time and the expensive um, uh, task of recording all of this. So this brought us to our question. We're going to be wrestling with this entire series. We're not going to answer this question until Easter. I hope you've been wrestling with this. But what if all this Jesus stuff that we read about is true? What does it mean to you? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for this world? We're going to t- answer that, but I, I want you to wrestle with this throughout this entire se- season of Lent before, until we get to Easter. In Luke 1, Jesus tells about the birth of John and the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist, the, the, the goal of John the Baptist was to be the warm-up act. He was to, to warm everyone, to get everyone prepared for Jesus who's coming. Jesus is the Messiah that's coming. He's getting everyone prepared for what is to come. His goal was to set the stage for, for who Jesus was and, and, and the fact that he was coming. And Luke, Doing his investigative report, he records John the Baptist. And look, just listen to how Luke records this in, in a Luke chapter 3, verse 1, talking about John the Baptist. Here's what he says. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetriarch of Galilee, his brother, Philip, tetriarch of Iturea and Tractanus, and Licinius, tetriarch of Avalon, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You see all those things he said? And look, I'm not good at history. I'm also not that good at reading, especially some Greek, okay? So, so, and I don't know anything about lions and tigers, obviously. So, but here is what I know. Here's what I know. If you're making a story up, if you're making this up, why would you have all those details? Like, because he's, he's making up a story, if, if he's making it up, he's making up a story that happened 30 years ago, people are alive when it happened. They would see all those names and be like, well, that's not true, that's not accurate. But no, he, he tells us the time, he tells us the place, he tells us who was the elected officials at the time, he gives us names that we have to fact check. He gives us all that stuff. Luke could have said, in the time of Rome, and he would have been right, and he would have covered his bases, But he didn't say that. He gave details about what it was. Luke tells us about John the Baptist. And what's interesting about John the Baptist is, We learn about John the Baptist here, and and John the Baptist, um, a lot of times we think of him as as just a Bible story or a Bible character. But we actually seen John the Baptist in other historical documents. That is not just in the Gospels that we learn about John, but there are other things that have nothing to do with the Bible talks about John the Baptist. In fact, Josephus was a first century Roman Jewish historian. He wrote things like the Jewish War. He wrote the History of the Jews. He is not a Bible writer. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was simply recording what was happening with the Jewish culture at that time. So at that time, the time that John the Baptist lived, he's writing about Judaism and, and the Jews at that time, and guess who he mentions? John the Baptist, because he has to, because he's a real person who actually existed. Here's actually what John writes. He's writing about a story that we actually learn about in Um, in the Gospels as well but here's what Josephus is writing um, about John the Baptist now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God as a just punishment for what Herod had done against John who was also called the Baptist where Herod was killed had killed this good man who had commanded the Jews to exercise virtue righteousness towards one another and piety towards God John was a primary figure in history of the Jews So Josephus, who's not writing the gospel, who's not trying to talk about salvation, has to talk about John the Baptist because he was a real person that really existed at that time. We know John because not only in the gospels, but outside the gospels, we hear about him. So Luke, who carefully investigated everything, tells us about John. And he starts telling us about the message that John had. Luke chapter 3, verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. His message was to repent. That means to change our direction, to let go of our sin, to be forgiven of our sin so that we can can do what we need to do. He is preaching as the warm-up act here. He is getting people ready for the new that's about to show up, for the Messiah who is about to show up. John knew something new was coming that he didn't want anyone around him to miss it. Here's um, Here's what I love about uh, John the Baptist. You read the Gospels. He's kind of crazy. He he's, he's lives in the wilderness. He's a wild guy. The Bible says he eats locusts. Like, uh, that's just a detail they throw in there. He's, he's kind of a, a wild guy, but he's here preaching this message that is becoming so popular that all these people are showing up because they want to hear what this John the Baptist is saying. In fact, it was so popular, people were starting to say, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe John's the Messiah because what he's preaching was so amazing and radical, so all these people start showing up, and all these religious leaders start showing up, so they're like, we want to hear what he has to say. And listen to what, how John responds to these religious leaders showing up, um, this wild guy who lived in the wilderness, who's, who eats locusts. Look how um, he responds to all these people showing up. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? It's a feel-good message John is giving. You brood of vipers. This is so offensive especially to the, to the religious leaders of that day. He says, who warned you what is coming? But he doesn't stop here. He keeps going in verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's what he's saying. You want to be right with God? Change your ways and walk the walk. You have to do, not just teach and believe. This new is coming. The Messiah is coming. So if you don't repent of all the ways that you have made this faith a tradition, And all the ways you haven't walked the walk, you will miss it when the new shows up. And he continues on in verse 8. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father, as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Here's what he's saying. I know you that are listening are Jewish. You are God's chosen people. The whole old covenant talks about that. But when the new comes, that won't be enough. Your heritage. What? who your father was, who your, who your ancestry was. Being Jewish isn't enough for what the new that's coming. And here's what it would mean for us. For I've seen in the past, it's really been the past 10 years, I've really seen it, it when it comes to Christianity, this push for consumerism. I mean, we're, we're even faster from consumerism this week. I've seen this push of this idea when it comes to being a follower of Jesus and church that I just want to be a person, you know what? I just want to be a person that comes and attends. I want to get out, get stuff out of it um, that I want to get out of it. I want to go back to my day. I want to just be something that I just check off my God card and I'm good. Um, I, I just move on. And they better play the songs I like and they better have good coffee. And I'm going to want more blank and I'm going to want this. Like I've seen that push. And for those people that have become a consumer, like it's all about me when it comes to church, here's what John would say to you. Do not begin to say to yourselves, but I am a Christian. I go to church. I check Christian off my survey. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up Christians. John was trying to get people off of their self-made religion that was all about satisfying their needs and not helping anyone else, not living out their faith. John says, if that's you, then you know what? God would just raise these rocks to be Christians because they can do that. What is John telling us? Here's what John is telling us. You can write this down. You need to show what you claim to believe. You need to show what you claim to believe. If you believe in something, really believe it, then you need to show it. You need to show it through how you act. I mean, if I claim to love my wife, if I claim to love her more than anything, but I never take her out on dates, I talk down to her, and every time I'm around other people, I talk badly about her, I can claim whatever I want, but my actions aren't showing what I believe. If I claim to make my kids a priority, but I never go to their games, I never support them when they need me, I'm not around. I can say whatever I want, but I'm not making my kids a priority. You need to show what you claim to believe, or maybe you don't believe it. I want you to to put your faith in Jesus. I think you should. I think you should believe in a God. I think you should believe in the Bible. I think all of that is beneficial for you. I think you should believe in Jesus. But if you just claim to follow Jesus and do nothing with it, you're missing the point. There's so much more than belief. In, in high school um, I was, I went to a youth group that I loved. I absolutely loved youth group. I couldn't wait to go. Um, it was a fun youth group. I liked the, the student pastor a lot um, and there were cute girls there so I wanted to go. Um, and these cute girls actually talked to me where in school they did not talk to me. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. But, and I had a lot of Really close friends. My closest friend group was not at school. It was at my youth group. It was five to ten kids, uh, uh, guys that we like did everything together. We had sleepovers at our, at each other's house, especially in the summer, all the time. We played video games all the time. We couldn't wait to go to youth group on Wednesdays. We went to church every Sunday. We served any event that they did. We were at it. We couldn't wait to do it. It was so much fun. Five to ten guys that we really um, hung out all the time. It's all we hung out with. Went to church. We we couldn't wait to do it. And now, years and years later. Most of those guys don't have faith. They've left. And this week, I was asking myself, what happened? What happened to those guys? What happened to those people that I was with them? We believed it. We, we lived it. We were around it all the time. What happened? How did they go from having faith to living to, and living it out to, to nothing? And some of us have a familiar story. Some of us are here trying to find our way back. Some of us have, are, are not sure we're holding on. And here's what tends to happen. I've seen it happen over and over and over again when it comes to our faith and how we get this process of potentially losing it. First, our faith stalls. faith stalls. You stop growing in your faith. Maybe you stop going to church. You stop doing your spiritual disciplines at home. You just get too busy and, and things stall. That's where it starts. It stalls. Until eventually your faith becomes empty. You may still have it a little bit, but it's barely holding on. You hadn't used it in so long, so it's, it's pretty lifeless. And then from there, it eventually dies. I wake up one day, is like, oh, I don't believe this. I, 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 don't, I haven't lived it out in a long time, and I just realized I don't have faith. I don't believe this. When we turn our faith into only consumerism, into only what's in it for me, you may not know it, but you're starting the process. You're starting the process of stalling stalling your faith because you are just consuming, and that's not the message of the gospel, that's not what Jesus called us to do, just to be consumers of a religion. It's not what John is telling us to do. And if that's you, you're starting that process, here's the, a great question that Luke records. John is there preaching to his group, and his group is hearing this, and they're like, man, this is an amazing message. And then, So they have a question, and this might be some of your questions, that if you're in this point, and you're like, hey, well, well if I'm, I'm here, I've, and I've been there, Here's the question they asked. Maybe it's your question. Luke chapter three, verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd asked. Notice they didn't say, what should we believe then? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do to prepare? What should we do with what we hear? What should we do for the new that God is bringing? And here's my guess, and I don't know this, but from the tradition of the old covenant, my guess is they're asking this question, they're ready for a religious answer. Well, you got to go to the temple. You got to tithe. You got to fast. You got to sacrifice something. Some kind of religious answer would make complete sense to them. So they say, What do you do? And listen to this religious answer John gives. Here's what he says John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So, hey, if you have two shirts and that person has no shirts, then give them one of your shirts. If you have food and that person doesn't have enough food, then you give them some of your food. Share. That's what he says to do. You need to share and you would think well this is a very religious john like th- this i don't have to this isn't re- this i don't have to go to the temple to do this he would say yeah exactly share share if if you see a need you meet the need even if it costs you something to meet that need you do it why because the messiah is about to show up he is about to meet the needs of everyone a need that they can never meet on their own. A need that it doesn't matter how much we try to be good, we can't meet it. It doesn't matter how religious we are, we can't meet it. It doesn't matter how much we go to church, we can't meet it. They will never be able to meet it ourselves, but the new is coming that will meet the need that we cannot meet. So start to prepare. Start meeting needs around you or you're going to miss it. John keeps going, Luke chapter 3, verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked. What should we do? Now, it's interesting that he talks about tax collectors. In in this culture, there were sinners. They were considered some of the lowest. Then there were tax collectors. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. Tax tax collectors were Jewish people that betrayed their own people for their own selfish gain to rob their own people for the government. Their job was they can go around collecting taxes for Rome, and Rome said, you can charge whatever you want, and you can keep the rest and give us what we need, and if they will not do it, then they can go to jail They were considered the worst of the worst. When we hear about tax collectors, they are the worst. So they say, what about us? The ones that everyone hates, what about us? And look what John says to them. Don't collect any more than you're required to. Stop stealing from people. That's it, and he keeps going. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? The Roman soldiers here, they have been hired from the surrounding regions of Rome. They were hated by almost everyone. But they are listening and they go, you know, well, what a, John, what about us? What, what do we do? And look what John says to them. He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. None of this is religious. None of this is religious. It's all practical. It is simply hearing, helping other people. So we need to just take care of people. We need to be kind to people. We need to love people. We need to share it with people. If someone needs something, we need to give it to them. We need to make sure we don't rob from them. We need to make sure we... Don't... That's just what we need to do. And yeah, that's what you do. This made no sense for this culture. In this culture, you were sick because you did something wrong. You were poor because you deserved it. You, you take control of by stepping on someone else to get to where you wanted to go in this culture. That was what this culture was built on. And yet... John is talking about this new thing that's coming that is completely against the culture at the time about doing something. So how do we get ready? How do we live out our faith? Simple, do something. That's what we're called to do. It is that simple. Do something. Do something with what you believe. Help someone in need. Help someone, even if it costs you. Do something with your faith. And here's why all this is important. Today we talked a little bit about why you should believe in God and why you should believe in the Bible. And the rest of the series we're going to talk very practically about why we should believe in all this stuff. And I, I want you to believe. And it's important to believe. And as we continue to investigate, we're going to continue to believe. But I need you to know something. We aren't called to just believe. We are called to do. I'll make it a little harsher for you. If you say, well, you know what? I believe. I would say, so what? The devil believes. Anyone can believe. It's not enough to just believe. We want you to believe. We want you to get there. We want you to start there. But if your belief doesn't cause you to do, then I don't know if you really believe. Because my guess is, that you may be believing in an incorrect version of Christianity that thinks it's about us. It's not about us. It is about denying ourselves to help those that are in need, to love people so that when they start to believe, we can teach them the better way to live is not about consuming, not about me, not about more, but it's about giving out and pouring out to those that are in need. The version of this consumption Christianity, what's in it for me? I get to go to heaven when I die one day. It's all about me and requires nothing out of me in order to do it. It's just about my preference and my consumption. We are not called to believe that. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to do something. John taught us to do something. Jesus, as we learn, Jesus is about to enter the scene in the book of Luke here. Jesus, throughout this series, we're going to talk about this, tells us to do something. And the do that the early Christians did is the reason why we are here today. The do that they had to do was preach the message, no matter how radical it was for that time, no matter what it cost them, no matter if they took their lives because of that message, to help those that were were in need to preach the message of the gospel no matter what it took. So my question I'm going to ask you as we get ready to close. What should you do? Ask God, what do you want me to do? And prepare. Because my guess is, it's uncomfortable. But there's always something that God has for you to do. But I just want to warn you, doing is messy. Doing is hard. You will do, and you will do it wrong. You will do and not know if your do was even right. But doing is life-changing. Doing is what grows your faith. Believing doesn't grow your faith. It's doing that grows your faith. Doing is is what shows that you actually believe it. So as we continue throughout this series... And as we continue to investigate and look deeper into the message of Jesus, and we continue to ask, what if this is all true? What I would encourage you, if you would be here today and you would confess to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you, So, what are you going to do about it? You believe, great. Now what are you going to do? So as we get ready to play this closing song, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to play this closing song. Throughout this song, I want you to ask God, take this time in the presence of God to ask Him, God, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with the belief that I have? I believe it. What do you want me to do? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for being the God who came to meet our biggest need, the need that we could never meet ourselves. Thank you for being the God that Gave everything up for us. And dear God, we want to believe. Dear God, help us with our belief to do something. Help us with our belief to live it out. God, I pray that you convict us exactly what each one of us needs to do. So we are all different. We all have different talents. We all different passions. Dear God, I pray that you convict us on what we need to do thank you for being a God who calls us to be an an integral piece of the mission, that we are called to go and to spread the kingdom of God to the nations, that we are called to do something. So dear God, I pray that you convict us on what you want each one of us to do. Thank you for calling us. In your son's name, amen. Let's stand us sing this closing song.